everybody. Welcome into the latest edition of the Postcast, production of the Casper Star Tribune and Pokes Authority. I am Davis Potter, Wyoming beat writer for the Star Tribune, and I'm joined by my sidekick and former Wyoming beatnik, Brandon Foster. Uh, Brandon, pretty uh, pretty quiet week on the uh, athletics beat here so far. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, the, the folks at UW didn't want us to have to vamp too much on this week's podcast, I guess. So Yeah, uh, well... You know, since we started the podcast back, um, I guess like you were saying before we started recording, that uh, since we're back now, they just decided to give us all this uh, all this news at once. So, uh, but obviously <laughs> we're being uh, facetious because it's been a very uh, newsy week in terms of Wyoming athletics, and particularly with the football program with uh, some additions and some tractions to the coaching staff. You can find complete coverage on trib.com and pokesauthority.com, but uh, just a, a quick overview. Um, Wyoming uh, lost an offensive coordinator, hired a new offensive coordinator in Tim Polisek from Iowa, and also rounded out its coaching staff uh, with its final on-field assistant and offensive line coach Derek Frazier, who actually spent the last couple seasons uh, as an assistant offensive line coach in the NFL with the New York Jets, but uh, is actually from Fort Collins um, and has some experience coaching Mount West at both Colorado State and Fresno State. And we'll get into a little bit more on those hires here here in a second, but obviously the the reason that Wyoming has a new offensive coordinator is because Brent Vegan is no longer at Wyoming. Um, accepted the head coaching job at Montana State. And beyond that, Brandon, it's it's very weird now because that ends an 18-year run for uh, Brent Vegan and Craig Bowl coaching together going back to their days uh, in North Dakota State. And uh, I guess it's just it's just sort of weird that, that those two are not going to be coaching together uh, next season. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's not uncommon for – the OC to be, you know, one of the most scrutinized and second guessed, uh, you know, members of, of a football team's coaching staff, uh, kind of similar in the way that, you know, the, the backup quarterback is always the, the fan's favorite player, but, um, you know, wait, Brent, Brent Vegan was scrutinized during his time at Wall. I mean, if maybe, maybe not while you've been on the beat, I don't know, but I sure got a few Twitter mentions about it. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, and, and Mike, take on the whole thing was kind of independent of of the job that he did it just kind of never felt like it uh, mattered too much not that it mattered but it felt like he and bowl were always kind of part and parcel right like they they were a a package uh together um you know so any any criticisms or praise put upon vegan you know i always felt like kind of went to to bowl as well right he was always i mean they were right one and the same for so many years um and i think this is probably the the most likely way in which that um you know that pairing would would break up is is for vegan to to leave for another gig i just you know i felt like it would i couldn't envision exactly what it would take for for them to fire vegan you know if if as as so many of my twitter followers had hoped for <laughs> it was like you know if you, if you don't like vegan but you like bowl like you do kind of have to to come to terms with that uh paradox because i i i do think you know that they share a lot of philosophy as far as as, uh what they wanted the offense to be oh yeah there's no doubt about that and you know i mean 
Wyoming's always going to be, you know, that power run game and, and then go from there under Craig Bowl. But, yeah, to your point, I mean, rarely, particularly in this age of, of football at, at any level, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the money and um, just the, the amount of turnover that there is and how frequent it usually is, you, you're not going to find a, a coaching tandem like that that sticks around together and basically paired it, joined at the hip for almost two decades. I mean, that's, that's almost unheard mm-hmm. of nowadays. But um, – you know, it, it is interesting, though, because, um, you know, Craig Bowl, you know, like I said, they, they've been around that long. Now, all of a sudden, he's, you know, he's in the market for a new offensive coordinator. But I think he always had a short list because, mm-hmm. you know, he made this this new hire relatively, I mean, the, the, day, at, the day after, two days after officially, um, you know, there were reports coming out on Tuesday that uh, Tim Pulisic was going to be his choice. And then they Wyoming officially announced it on Wednesday. So, um, you know, it, it just, you, you wonder sort of what his mindset is now. It's like, you know, I've been with this guy for so long. Everything's been, you know, we, we've been in this together. We've been in this routine. And, and I, and I put said something about this on Twitter when, when vegan left for Montana state is, um, you know, yeah, I, I'm not sure that Brent Vegan deserves the amount of flack that he got. Now, I think some of the, the criticism of him and the play calling and just the way the offense has tailed off in general, you know, over the last handful of years, I think some of that is, is justified. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you're together that long, sometimes you can get in a rut and sometimes, you know, things can get stale and, you know, I think it might be it's maybe beneficial for both sides for for Brent to go on do his own thing, sort of form his own identity as a head coach, and then make at Wyoming. You know, it's a chance for Craig Bold, you know, to, to maybe start fresh and you know develop some new ideas on offense and some some new things he can he can implement. And uh, you know, it's been very interesting to to hear Craig Bold talk this offseason about the offense because. You know, while he's always going to run the pro style, like we talked about the the power run game, and and that's always going to be Wyoming's identity. You know, I, I have never in my in my two years on this beat, I've never heard him talk as much about having to. The, the term he keeps using is re-engineer. Uh, in terms of mm-hmm. obviously being able to to be more efficient in the passing game when you run the ball as well as they do. You know, being able to uh, be more efficient in the play action passing game in particular, but. Um, just him talking about getting you know guys in space more and and having needing to diversify not only the passing game but but the running game as well when you know ninety like we talked about last week I mean ninety ninety five percent of your your runs coming between the tackles you know that, that that makes you very predictable in what you're doing and he met with the media on Wednesday after Wyoming officially announced uh, Politics hire but it, you know I, I asked him specifically like is that something you need to do even in the running game is be more diverse? And he was like, yeah, absolutely it is. And, you know, we need to get guys more on the perimeter and, 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 str- and use every part of the field rather than always running North and South. Um, so I, I think that's, that's interesting and we'll get a little bit more into and police here, but um, you know, that's somebody that Craig Bowles obviously familiar with. They coached together at, at North Dakota state before Craig Bowl came to Wyoming. And you mentioned, you know, some of your Twitter actions, but, um, you know, going by some of mine too. Um, I think uh, uh, there's a, a majority of the fan base that's sort of taking a wait and see approach to this and seeing if things are actually going to change. 
uh, because it's one thing you always talk about it, but you know, when, when you bring in a, a, a yet another former assistant, another one of your guys, and the perception is, you know, he, Craig Bowles really likes to keep it in, in the family and hire all these these coaches that he's familiar with. I remember, I'm curious what your opinion is on, uh, you know, him bringing in another one of his guys, so to speak. Right. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I, I kind of had a similar initial reaction as, you know, how, as much as people wanted a change um, w- with the way that Wyoming's offer, uh, offense operates, you know, how, how different would it really be if it was another guy who coached under bowl at uh, NDSU? Um, you know, I think, I would imagine, and I'm, you know, just kind of speculating here. I don't know a ton of Polisex background, but or or exactly what Iowa's identity has been the last couple of years. I know they've um, had a, a strong arm quarterback themselves with Nate Stanley recently, but um, yeah, you know, I I I would imagine that as as similar as they must be if they both come from you know Bulls, North Dakota State lineage you know each each coach is a different coach and maybe this is a way to strike that balance of you know that they're not gonna i i don't think they're ever gonna change their true identity of of what they want to be as a program right they're gonna be that smash mouth team they're gonna be a team with a hard nose up the gut run game as as a big piece of what they do but maybe this is a way to keep that ethos while also introducing you know a, a new person like you said maybe maybe that freshness helps there and and presumably he has a few wrinkles he can add like we were talking about last week um you know he, he's been at a different program he's he's been away from bowl for seven years um you know maybe, maybe this is a way to strike that balance with still keeping your identity but switching things up a little bit um <clears throat> but yeah I, I i um obviously can speak a little bit more to to vegan than than Polisic, and as i guess so can you as far as our familiarity with the two but yeah you know i think um the frustration was obviously there, and, and like you said, for pretty understandable reasons the last few years, um, you know, when you're not completing 50% per- of your passes, um, that's that's going to bring criticism. Um, you know, I think Vegan is a, his, you know, just looking back at his tenure at Wyoming, it, it, it's, uh, I, I don't know if he's a unique uh, person to evaluate, but he's certainly not um, an easy one, I think, to to sum up because um you know for all the struggles that they have had offensively in recent years especially through the air he's always going to be the guy who you know the first line in the the ap story about the hiring is you know the guy who brought carson wentz to north dakota state and josh allen to wyoming um and and you know there aren't that many nfl starting quarterbacks who came from um, you know, non power five schools, much less non FBS schools. And when you got two of them on your resume, that's, I mean, you got to imagine that's what got him hired at, at Montana state, right. At, at the end of the day. I mean, yeah, you know, he's, he's familiar with the region, all that, but um, he's still, you're never going to be able to take that away. Right. As far as his resume goes. Uh, but I think, you know, kind of uh, the, the tough thing to evaluate is, you know, you look at a year like 2017 and I think it kind of sums it all up. They had Josh Allen. They had this soon to be first round pick, um, you know, crazy talented quarterback that, that um, Brent recruited and developed. I mean, I think, you know, it gets a little oversimplified that like, man, Brent vegan, like went out into the wild and, and came back with this, this uh, (laughs) raw hunk of talent. Nobody had ever seen like Dave Brown was the Wyoming assistant who first found Allen and, and then, you know, passed him along to Vegan who, who looked at his tape. But, um, you know, 
nonetheless, like he he did get these guys, but in in seventeen, like even with Allen, they couldn't do squat on offense. Um, and you know, it's, it is a little bit of that that mixture of you know, do you want the guy who can maybe find the next Josh Allen? I think you probably do, but at, at the end of the day, that you know, that's not the entirety of of the resume. Um, and you know, I think in in a way, they really established after Allen what actually this offense. I think looks like under Craig bowl, um, you know, a lot, not that they didn't run the ball, obviously with, with Brian Hill in, in, um, you know, the first few years of bulls tenure, but it really became a power run centric offense after Allen. And, um, my guess is that's a little bit more of what the true identity was with vegan and Allen being as talented as he was, you know, they kind of adjusted to him and, and made use of him. And, Early in, in Bulls' tenure, they had some of these skill players left over from the Dave Christensen era, who you know he recruited for an entirely different type of offense, and and you know smartly they uh, aired the ball out and threw it to Tanner Gentry and, and Jake Hollister and guys like that. But you know I think the last few years they established that power run identity, maybe too much, but they they definitely yeah. established it. Now they have it, and it's just a question of how do you build on it. Yeah, I do wonder too if if some of that was maybe uh, with with breaking in such a young quarterback at, at, once Josh left in 2018 with with Tyler Vanderwall. How much of that was just them just trying to take the pressure off of him? And then when when he wasn't performing when they did throw the ball, you know, then they make the switch to Sean Chambers. And then the last three years, it's just been one injury after another. So sort of as we as we've referenced to in the past, there just hasn't been a whole lot of stability there. Uh, and you're playing all these young guys at quarterback, you know, did they just decide, hey, let, let's just run, lead on our running game and our defense and just try to, you know, eke out these, these 20 to 17, 17 to 14 wins, things like that. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting. I, I did ask Craig Bull, uh, you know, is uh, Pulisic going to have complete autonomy when it comes to play calling? And, you know, he, he said, you know, that's something he's always managed. Which I, I I found to be sort of interesting because it goes back to you know did Vegan really deserve all that criticism because um, you know was was he actually the one that was had full say in the play calling or, or you know was Craig Bull you know butting in at times and sort of overseeing these play calls and, and you know signing off on them or not and I, I do remember Brent you know a, a, a year or so ago. Yeah. You know, when I talked to him specifically for a story I was doing, um, you know, he, he said, I, I have the freedom. Craig Bowl, we've developed this relationship, and I have the freedom uh, for the most part to go out there and do what I want to do, and, and, and he's given me all these responsibilities. Um, but, you know, as, you know, the head coach ultimately is the one that gets to sign off on these things. So it's, I think it's – I do wonder if it's just how much maybe Craig Bowl stepped in and said, hey, let, let's lean on this or let's do this or let's do that. Um, so, you know, I, you know, what, was it completely Brent being his offense or, or, you know, how much right. did, um, you know, Craig bowl maybe put his foot down at times and, and, and he sort of referenced that again. Yes. On Wednesday saying, you know, he, he, he'll, he'll monitor it. And, and he even said, you know, that they'll, they'll discuss things, you know, offline in between offensive series during games. So, um, just going back to, to Pulisic himself and sort of his background, uh, you know, he comes from, from Iowa. He was the offensive line coach. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because he really only has three years as a play caller at North Dakota State. And what's even more interesting about that is as long as he coached under Craig Bowl at NDSU, he actually left for a year 
to go to Northern Illinois as an assistant in 2013. And then when he came back as NDSU's offensive coordinator in 2014, obviously Craig Bowl wasn't there. That was when he left to to come take the UW job. Uh, so Craig Bowl actually wasn't even even at NDSU when uh, Polisic was the offensive coordinator there. But you know, Craig said on Wednesday that he actually went back and and he's watched a, a lot of those games and a lot of that film from those three years when Polisic was NDSU's offensive coordinator from 2014 to 2016. Um, right. and, and really he, he liked his aggressiveness as a play caller. And, and another reason he said he was, he was sold on making Pulisic his, his OC is the fact that, uh, Pulisic, every, Craig said every time that he gave him a, a, a task or an assignment to do, he always excelled at it. And that, that's interesting because this is a guy in Pulisic who, uh, has a really diverse coaching background. I mean, he, he coached running backs, tight ends, uh, fullbacks was even Craig Bowles special teams coordinator at NDSU. Um, you know, he, he even has experience coaching defensive backs um, during his, his coaching career. Um, so, yeah, and then obviously at Iowa being Kirk Ferentz's offensive line coach for the last four years. So he's done a little bit of everything. And Craig said the fact that he's really excelled in that and has, you know, sort of gained a reputation as being really good, no, no matter what the task that's asked of him is, um, that really helps s- sell him too. And then um, similar to Brent Vegan, uh, Tempelissic was also a quarterback, you know, during his, his college days at Concordia University there in Wisconsin. Um, so, you know, he said sort of a mixture of all that. And, and obviously the familiarity having coached with him um, brought him in. And, and really I'm, I'm still digging, doing a little research on, on you know exactly his time as a play caller at NDSU and and look at some of the stats and and seeing you know what he did with their offenses. But one thing that really stuck out to me, we, we've talked about the inefficiency that Wyoming's had in the passing game and the completion percentage. Um, in Polisic's three years as the OC at NDSU, they never had a completion percentage less than fifty eight percent, and in two of those years, they actually completed sixty percent of their passes or more. Um, now I know that's a look. That's FCS level. This is FBS, and you know the defenses are different. You face a different caliber of athlete. So you know, is that going to translate over to Wyoming? You know, who knows? But um, I do think it's interesting that you bring in a guy that's that's had at least some success in, in what he's done, and is and 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 I think can relate to a lot of different positions on the field with some of the diversity in his coaching background. Yeah, although I don't, I don't know if Wyoming has a, a Carson Wentz on its roster right now. Who That's a good point too. Yeah, slinging the football for some of those years. Yeah, I I think it's funny that uh, you mentioned that Bowl would you know mentioned that he he went he's watched a lot of uh, tape from those years at NDSU just because you know I, maybe he's changed now since you've covered the beat. But when I was on it, uh, he he almost like never uttered the words North Dakota State. Um, kind of similar to Nebraska too. He would just say like my alma mater. Uh, and it felt like a very purposeful decision to like not try to, you know, uh, rest on his laurels too much and, and, you know, make, you know, he wanted to be focused on Wyoming, which makes sense, but it's, it's funny. You would almost, I mean, he won three national championships there and you would almost never know that he he coached in Fargo. And then, you know, of course, of course he's, he's still paying attention to what's going on there. Um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of wonder, uh, you know, I, I think there's two big things with with a play caller. There's like the overall, you know, mindset and game plan, right? Or, you know, what, what what's our personality going to be as an offense? But then there's the play to play decisions and and that 
you know, the the kind of nitty gritty of play calling and, and, you know, when do you bust out something creative? When do you stick with, you know, the more traditional? Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I mean, I, I've, I've watched plenty of Wyoming the last couple of years, but um, you've obviously watched more closely. You know, when I was there, people would always kind of uh, bemoan the lack of uh, creative plays and, you know, kind of seem to want a little bit more uh, trickeration going on in the offense um, yeah. under, under vegan. But then it also kind of seemed like they would try it at times and it just, it just wouldn't work. And, you know, ultimately my opinion is, you know, uh, you're going to be a, a good offense because of the, the big picture stuff, not necessarily the, the great trick play you draw up. But I, I'm curious over the last few years, did, did you get that sense as well that, you know, the offense was a lot more vanilla than the, than the, fans were hoping for as far as breaking out some some you know highlight real flea flicker stuff yeah yeah I, I think so I mean you know I've like I've only been here two years and on this beat two years so it's hard for me to know like you know what it looked like before mm-hmm. I guess 2018 uh when you know the first few years of Craig Bowles era when, when you were covering it but yeah I mean it was it was pretty bland I I can remember I can remember like basically just a handful of times when when they tried some some trickeration or or something to give the defense a different look than what their offense had always shown, and that was that one of them was the flea flicker uh, to start overtime at Boise State in 2019, mm-hmm. which <laughs> really that ball should have been picked off yeah, uh, in the one. in the end zone. You remember that? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was, you know, obviously Sean Chambers was hurt. Tyler Vanderwall was, was, uh, his backup and, and playing in that game. But, um, yeah, that was one, which I, I, I frankly, I thought that was, I mean, when, when you sit there and, and you hear from a lot of the fan base that we want more innovation, we want more trickeration, we want more, you know, we want things that are different. And then he dials up a, a flea flicker on the first play of overtime I mean, I don't know how you can complain about that when when you're, you're sitting there calling for for some different aspects to your offense. Now it it, it went horribly wrong and di- didn't work. And like I said, should have he th- it was thrown into double coverage and should have been intercepted. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think that's that's something you can complain about a whole lot when you when you're sitting there and clamoring for for you know something out of the ordinary in terms of your offensive play calling. And then th- there have been just a few end arounds, like, you know, the, the, you know, with the, with the wide receiver reverse yeah. off the, off the uh, power run game action. Um, I, I say in there, their freshman receiver actually had like a, a 50 something yard run this year. I, I can't, I think it was New Mexico. I can't quite recall which game it was, but um, you know, outside of that, I mean, I, I, I just, I just haven't seen much of it. And, you know, that's why I asked Craig Bowl on, on Wednesday, specifically about the running game, too, just because, like like you said, I mean, nearly all of their runs are between the tackles and those A and B gaps. And, you know, that, that turns into a tendency on tape for defenses. It's like, if this is all they're ever doing, you know, then, then why do we need to prepare for, for something if they're not ever really throwing – um, you know, a wrinkle in there to catch us off guard or, or you know, something that, that that's different that they're showing on tape, then, you know, why do we need to try to prepare for that? You know what I mean? So, you know, we're, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about this. But I, I do think Wyoming, you know, if they don't change some things offensively, and I think 
with the way Craig Bowles at least talking this all season, I think he's starting to understand it. But I, I think uh, Wyoming is is in, in danger of getting left behind when you and you talk about college football and the way offenses are are evolving and what they are today. I mean, you know, Nick Saban when the when the spread offenses first became a thing, you know, six or seven years ago, um, you know, it was him and Brett Bielema who was the, the coach at Arkansas at the time in the SEC. You know, they they were you know complaining about it. And talking about how, you know, bringing all this stuff in about, you know, this this is dangerous and, and the pace could be dangerous for players. And then he realized, okay, well, everybody's doing that. I can either complain about it or I can adjust. And he adjusted, and now they're scoring 50 points a game and have some of the most prolific offenses in the country. Now, look, I, I get Alabama, they recruit an entirely different caliber of athlete than, than what you're going to get at Wyoming. But, um, you know, I, yeah, I think that this – you have to do some, some more innovative things. I mean, these – these 14 to 10 games that Wyoming still plays at times, I mean, you know, that, that's a thing of the past. I mean, you're just not seeing many games, scores like that in college football anymore. So I think they've got to, they've really got to uh, evolve in what they're doing. And, and like I said, I think Craig Bolt is starting to realize that. I mean, how could you not after seeing the way this offense, particularly this passing game, has, has performed the last three or four yeah. years? Yeah, I think uh... – uh, another piece of it too, and I, I think you're right that you know that, um, you know maybe maybe that just hey we're gonna out physical we're gonna have huge offensive linemen we're gonna run up the gut and beat you down you know maybe maybe that works at FCS but doesn't work in the Mountain West I don't know um, but I, I kind of also wondered you know what we'll see and it'll probably be a while before we know but from Polisek as far as uh, quarterback development goes um, you know I think. Uh, you know, while Vegan has the reputation of a quarterback guru um, because, you know, of, of uh, recruiting Winston Allen, you know, I think there are some fair questions to ask about, you know, what he did developing them once they got there and what he did to develop the people who came uh, after Allen at that position. Um, you know, uh, I mean, if I remember right, what, you know, he mostly recruited Wentz. I don't think he coached Wentz, at least as a starter at all um, at, at North Dakota State. And then, you know, Allen obviously, you know, was a, you know, all conference type player, but um, now that he's having this insane MVP caliber year in the NFL, people are like, wait, why did he not have better stats at Wyoming? You know, and, and some of that is right. implicitly asking, like, why did Brent Vegan not develop uh, him as much as, uh, as, uh, oh man, why can I, I'm spacing out on the, on the Buffalo season name, but um, you know, obviously an NFL coordinator is, is, is different than college. Brian Dable, you come up? Brian Dable, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, you just kind of wonder, um, uh, not that Allen didn't have a good career at Wyoming, but after Allen, you know, um, you had Vanderwall, you have Chambers, who's, who's struggled to develop the, thus far into a really consistent passer. And then, you know, um, I, I, I don't know, it just seems like there's a lot of raw talent at that position over the last five years in Wyoming, but I wonder how QB development will fare now compared to, yeah. to then. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to say that vegan um, could have done better, but it, it's something that I wonder. No. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, that's fair. And, and I do, I don't think the, the, the injury aspect can be undersold, you know, cause I mean, sure. you know, like, I mean, we've referenced it, but I mean, for you, to, for the, your starting quarterback to have a season ending injury, 
you know, each year for the past three seasons. I mean, they're, I mean, I, I would like to see Sean Chambers go through a full season healthy and, and then see what we can do at that yeah. point. I mean, cause I mean, you know, he's, it's interesting cause he's about to enter his, his fourth year in this program and yet he's yet to get play a full season for Wyoming. Um, so, you know, I, I would like to see that. And we, I think everybody sort of needs to see that before you can start really making real assessments on, on where this program is, is going in terms of the quarterback position. But it's interesting you, you bring that up because I did ask Craig Bowl specifically on Wednesday about what he thinks Posit can bring in terms of quarterback development. And he did, he sort of sidestepped the question and started talking about, yeah, our quarterbacks, you know, we need to be better, but also, you know, it has to do with what you have around them and your receivers and running backs and supporting cast. And, and you know, we need, we need to be better in pass protection and all that stuff. But I think some of the part of that answer comes from the fact that, again, he did, just doesn't have a whole lot of experience as an OC or quarterback coach. Uh, again, you know, he's only in his whole career, he's only, yeah. he's only had three years where he's been a play caller. So there, there's really not much to go off of there. It's a very small sample size. So yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think, I think in a way that this hire is, is a gamble. Um, and, and everybody's just going to have to wait and see, you know, what ends up happening at that position just because, um, you know, you, you don't know. There, there isn't a, a ton um, of history there in terms of Pulisic calling plays. And yeah, I know we've you know, kind of gone long in the segment, but I have one question for you I, i'm just kind of curious do yeah. you think you know the uh impending departure of vegan or you know whether people kind of had a sense it was coming if, if that played any role in uh aj blazek you know spending two weeks in laramie i'm just pure speculation putting you on the clock but yeah i, I highly yeah. doubt it i mean he had a power five program come yeah. calling and you know you know, it doesn't matter who you are and no well it's it's illinois power maybe like a lowercase p power five are you talking? Are you talking? Oh wait, that's yeah, that was sorry, Bart Miller. Bart Miller. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm getting. There's been so many uh, <laughs> I know. offensive line coaches. I'm getting. Yeah, no, but that's fair. Vanderbilt, yeah, probably in that. In that. Category. Yeah, and, and I mean, unless you're like, you know, he was from Wyoming or Colorado and had a had a tie that was holding him here. Uh, I mean, you can't compete with Power Five money, even even as an assistant. So yeah, they've had some really bad luck in, in, in the offensive line hiring department. In particular, you know, they hired Clayton Adams a few years ago, um, and then he left like a month later to be uh, an assistant O-line coach for the Indianapolis Colts. So, and I don't blame Craig Bull at all. Like, you go out there and hire the best coaches that you can hire, and you know, if some if somebody comes from a Power Five or NFL job comes along, well, that's you know, that's just part of it. Like, I don't I don't think he should be settling for a lesser coach just because he's scared somebody might come along and, and, and take him. You know, like you, like you're getting paid a lot of money to make your program um, the best that it can be. So, I mean, you go up, you are out there and, right. and hire the best coaches that you can, but yeah, they've definitely had some, some tough luck in that department, but Brandon, a, a very interesting side note to this is that Brent Vegan's first game as Montana state's coach is going to be <laughs> back here in Laramie at War Memorial stadium against Wyoming. And we've talked about sort of the general reaction and, <laughs> and some of the fans thoughts about Brent vegan, nice. or I have to imagine that if Brent vegan comes back to Laramie and pulls off the upset over Wyoming in the war, like most of their heads are just going to spontaneously explode, right? Like, <laughs> that's yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's the only only way you could react at that point. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think in general you got to hope you're not at the point anymore where you're losing to, you're losing your FCS game. But you know, I I don't I won't pretend to know enough about Montana the st- uh, state to know if they have any shot, but they certainly have a better shot at be- beating Wyoming specifically than they did two weeks ago. <laughs> I mean, they got a guy now who now you know knows the ins and outs of of who he's playing. Um, so yeah, that'll, that'll be interesting. I wonder, you know, kind of how the crowd reaction will be too, if they do, you know, put the camera on them and say, Hey, it's Brent vegan. Uh, that'll be interesting. Cause you know, as, as much flack as he has gotten over the years, I think there were, you know, Hey, he's the reason Josh Allen, you know, ultimately came to Wyoming and, and also, um, you know, there, there were flashes, right. Of what a peak Craig bowl offense might look like. I think when you look at you know, the, the way they beat Missouri, you know, there were times when it did click yeah. and it, and it worked. Uh, and then there were just, unfortunately, a lot of times when it didn't yeah. click. Well, it'd be one thing for them to pull off the upset, uh, which I look, you're talking about an FCS program, Montana state against an FBS. I wouldn't, I don't expect it to happen. Although Wyoming's last couple of games against FCS teams have been mighty tight. <laughs> I think a lot closer than, uh, That's true. almost too close for comfort, but what if Brett vegan came Wofford. in? Yeah. I mean, Idaho, they were an offensive pass interference call away from Idaho in 2019 from losing that game. But uh, what if Brent Vegan came in here and dropped 30, 35 points? <laughs> With just like a whole bunch of like Hail Marys and trick plays and just airing the ball. In. <laughs> yeah. I think we'd, we'd have a riot in downtown Larry. Oh, my God. It would, yeah, it'd be something. But. Yeah, so it'll it'll be interesting to see what Tim Polisic does with this offense and what really him and him Craig Bowl do now because you know as we mentioned so many times it was that, that was such a partnership between him and Brent Vegan. Now you're he's transitioning into into a, a, a new play caller that he's going to have to uh, get used to and uh, to an extent you know in terms of running the offense and in terms of what they want to do and maybe what wrinkles that they want to want to implement. And it was interesting because Craig Bowl uh, also said on Wednesday that, you know, he every time we sort of asked him about, you know, specific, how specifically, you know, can, can Polissa come in here and, and diversify things. He was, he, he said multiple times, you know, I can't really get into specifics. I'm not going to get into, uh, you know, a huge a bunch of detail about what we're thinking about. So, obviously the, those wheels are turning uh, in his head in terms of, uh, you know, maybe some, some different variations or some different um, you know, wrinkles that he wants to bring to uh, to Wyoming's offense. But, uh, Brandon, yeah, we've gone long enough in this first segment, so uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we will transition into uh, Wyoming basketball and talk a little bit about the upcoming Mountain West tournament.
Welcome back into the Postcast, and now we're going to talk some Wyoming basketball, um, which Brandon hasn't been great as of late. Um, Cowboys have lost four straight games, and coming off a particularly uh, bitter sweep at the hands of uh, Colorado State, um, their rival, and in two games they really could have won. Um, but long story short, uh, you know this defense continues to struggle. Um, you know, allowing Colorado State and I think both games to shoot better than than fifty five percent from the floor. And, and what was interesting about their the, the second game of that series was the fact that they held Colorado State without a field goal for the last eight minutes of that game. Yet the, the start was so bad, uh, where Colorado State I think shot sixty sixty percent sixty one percent from the floor in, in the first half. Uh, and, and and got up by as many as 18 points in that first half that Wyoming just sort of had to pl- play catch-up the whole second half and, and and never quite caught all the way up and ends up getting swept and, and a not-so-great side note for Wyoming in that series. They've lost five of the last six matchups um, it, to Colorado State and have been swept in the regular season series the last two years. So um, their only win during that time was that, that upset in the Mount West tournament last season. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you, you know, maybe trade a, a Mountain West tournament upset over the Rams for you. You might give a few regular seasons for for that honor, but yeah, it's it's it just feels like these games are always close, and and I mean, I I know they're not literally always close, but it it feels like there's so many heartbreakers on on both sides over the last five or so years in the series, um, and you know, with, with the Utah state series getting canceled right after you just kind of got to, uh, you know, sit with that bitter taste in your mouth. And then, you know, who, who knows what even the rest of the season is going to look like right now with the COVID situation with New Mexico. And, and, uh, it, I'm sure they would much rather, you know, get right back out there and, and be able to put that frustration towards another game. Yeah. By the way, speaking of New Mexico, did you see where they're gaming against Colorado state? earlier this week was canceled like 20 minutes before tip off. I did not see that. That's yeah. That's, that was crazy. Um, yeah. Apparently they, New Mexico had an assistant coach who like had, had tested positive or something. There was a, hmm. somebody they, you know, part of the traveling party had been around them and, you know, they didn't find out until they actually made the trip down to Fort Collins. But yeah, that's, yeah, it's. I mean, you know, this whole COVID thing is a mess. And as you mentioned, the Wyoming isn't playing this week because their um, series at Utah State was postponed, uh, is what they're calling it. But now that they, they've had two series postponed, um, you know, UNLV there, which was supposed to be their opening series of Mount West play back in December, that was also called off. And um, yeah, when you just look at the at the schedule, I mean, they've got only one break in their schedule going forward before the Mountain West tournament. And that's the week before the Mountain West tournament. So, you know, unless you're going to make both those teams play two series in a week, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure one of those is just going to be canceled at the minimum. If, if not both of them, I, I think they will try to play at least one of them, but there's just not a whole lot of time left before the Mountain West tournament to, to do that. Yeah. I mean, that'd be a, a, a pretty sour note to, you know, kind of have your season fizzle out on more or less, um, or at least to, to have linger. Um, but yeah, I know, I know, you know, kind of along those lines, just looking down, you know, it's already, uh, mid February somehow and <laughs> March is around the corner and, and 
looking at what you know this Mountain West tournament is even going to look like. I know you just had a story about it. I think there's just uh, it's tough. I mean, maybe it's it's easier to digest when you are a rebuilding team and you are in the first year of a, a, a new head coach's uh, tenure um, to you know kind of have some of these. Uh, roadblocks so to speak as opposed to if you were you know ready to make your run this year so to speak but um it's got to be be tough to kind of process all that as, as a young team and a uh, team still trying to get its footing yeah um well the good news for Wyoming is that the schedule assuming these games get played is going to lighten up a little bit um you know they just got done or I guess not done but you know you just play um San Diego State and Colorado State back to back um, and then their, their next game is scheduled for February 17th against New Mexico in Colorado Springs. Um, and then they, they, they're supposed to end the season, regular season, with a series against San Jose State. But um, the Mountain West Tournament, I, I want to hit on a little bit because you mentioned that, and I do have a story up at trib.com and postauthority.com, um, uh, you know, with Jeff Lender's opinion about um, you know, where the tournament should be played and, and how many teams, um, you know, should be in it because there's there's been some varying opinions among some coaches in the Mountain West, specifically um, Linder's former boss and Boise State coach Leon Rice, um, you know, who, who is not against, you know, moving the, the tournament, um, you know, to, to campus sites in order to avoid, uh, you know, all 11 teams convening, in Las Vegas and, you know, further exposing them to the virus. And, you know, he even uh, has said he would be for, you know, cutting down on the number of teams that go. Um, now, obviously, you know, teams have different motives. Different teams have different motives at this at yeah. this time of the season, right? Like everybody's looking out for their best interest. And when you're talking about Boise State, Colorado State, um, Utah State, uh, San Diego State, those teams are all right in the thick of the discussion in terms of an at-large berth to the NCAA tournament, whereas teams like Wyoming, you know, their only chance of making it to the NCAA tournament is by getting the conference's automatic bid by winning the conference tournament. So um, I- I'm curious your opinion about maybe what they should do. And I, I don't want to give everything away here because I do want people to, to go read – my story, but um, as of now, the Mount West tournament, everything's the same. The format's the same number of teams and, and, and it's still scheduled to be played in Vegas as of this very second that we're recording this podcast, which is on a Thursday afternoon. But um, you know, my, my opinion on it is frankly, to be honest with you, I, I don't think conference, anybody should be playing a conference tournament. Like if it, if it were, if they said, Hey, Davis Potter, you can be NCAA basketball commissioner for a day. What would you do? Like, I would be like, we're just, we're just Knicks and all those. And then we can give uh, the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament to our regular season champion. Cause I, I just think, I just think with, with all of the travel, and, and 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 how that sort of increases the, the the risk of exposure to people. I just I think it's I think it's going to be a mess. So I wouldn't do that. But Brandon, as as you and me and anybody that pays attention to college athletics knows, they're having the NCAA tournament and they're having these conference tournaments because they make money. Right. So they're going to be played. So with that being said, um, I, I don't. I, I tend to agree agree with Jeff Linder. Like I, I think all the teams should go. Um, and, and play because to his point, um, 
you know, these teams have done so much due diligence and have worked so hard to even play, play the amount of games that they had and to, and to have a season and even get to this point. But as in terms of where it's played, I would tend to agree with, with Leon Rice and even anybody else who thinks that conference tournaments should probably be moved to campus sites. Like, I think you can do that. The Mount West is are, during the regular season. They already, um, ha, you know, had the revised schedule to where, you know, you're playing these two-game series at, at, on campus sites everywhere to sort of to cut the amount of road trips that these teams have during the regular season in half, essentially. And that's what you could do with the first round. If you move the, the tournament to campus sites, you, you're essentially cutting the amount of teams that have to travel in half for the first round. Um, so... That would that's that's my opinion on it. Like I think that so I think the tournament should go to campus sites, but I still think everybody should should participate in it because I think every every team that's gotten to this point is still playing has earned that the, the right to do that. Yeah. Um. But I do think you need to limit the exposure as much as possible, uh, particularly in a year where the again the Mountain West has four teams. If all four of those teams actually end up making it to the NCAA tournament, it would be the most teams that the Mountain West has sent to the tournament since they had five back in 2013. So this is a really good year. So what you don't want, you don't want to do is, is send everybody to the same place. This again, this is my opinion, but you don't want to send everybody to the same place, risk them being exposed, having a bunch of positives, knocking, you know, the rest of your roster out because of contact tracing, then you're not able to go to the NCAA tournament. I mean, that would look, but that would look bad on the Mountain West's part, in my opinion. Um, so, but I'm I'm curious, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, every year when I was on the beat at Mountain West Media Days in Vegas, you know, that one of the biggest conversations was always how do we get the Mountain West back to being, you know, not just a multi bid league, but you know, consistently multi bid, and and like you're saying, more more than two, you know, two, three, four, five teams in the tournament. How does that happen? And you know, it, everyone agrees, obviously, at the beginning of the year that it's important. But, you know, I think you get to this particular fork in the road. And, yeah, there, there are different uh, answers for different programs depending on where you are in the standings. Like, I, I 100% sympathize with, with Jeff Linder's point that, you know, it, it would stink for his team to put all this effort in to, you know, avoid getting COVID and, and play the season amidst all this, you know, craziness and then not even get to go to the tournament that said you know i think if if you really do want to make the mountain west into the type of basketball conference that it was you know uh what six seven eight years ago uh yeah you know it and at which i should say you know everyone agrees is a benefit even to the teams that aren't going to the tournament because when you have four teams in the tournament suddenly those are all really high quality games that everyone else in the conference gets on their schedule everyone's strength of schedule grows by proxy you know it's 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 good for everyone when that happens if you want to get to that i think it makes a lot of sense to avoid those kind of uh you know landmines that you're talking about i mean whether it's getting potentially everybody sick right before the tournament or you know having like you mentioned in your article you know somebody I mean, this is a risk every year, but lose a fluke game to a crummy team and screw their resume up. Um, yep. You know, I think every, it, it's certainly a bitter pill to swallow for the teams that wouldn't get to go. But um, if, if you're thinking about how how do we set the conference up for success, you know, like you mentioned, you got five te- or four teams in the top uh, 50, I think, of net rankings. And if you think they can get in, you know, with what they've done so far, I, I think long term it's best for the conference to 
make sure they get in there. And I think, you know, probably the simplest thing is, like you said, if they, if they just didn't play conference tourneys at all, then, then that'd be one thing. But I think limiting the amount of exposure is, is a big part of that. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I, it, I, I would not expect any coach who was going to get the short stick on that, you know, to, <laughs> to advocate for it. Certainly, you know, if, if your team was at risk of not getting the play, I understand why you would, um, your, your argument would be for everybody getting to play, but I think for the conference as a whole, um, you introduce some risk there that you get one or two fewer teams into the tournament um, if, if something goes wrong, or heck, all four. If you know if there's a super spreader event yeah. in, in Vegas, then you're going to feel silly. Um, and, I mean, at the end of the day, you want to play, but, like, how realistic is it that, you know, the folks are going to, run the table i know last year they they uh made some magic happen but it that's not enough to get you to the tournament right you got to win the whole dang right. thing <laughs> and like yeah. what's actually the chance that that's going to happen this year um i mean you yeah you want to play as many games as you can you want that experience for your players but um if the conference really wants to solidify itself as a basketball power again you wonder if if these mistakes are you know unforced errors on their part and obviously, look, the primary concern here is is the health and well-being of, of players and the coaches, the, the support staff, your assistant, all of that. Um, that you know, that, that, I think that goes without saying. But to your point, like, as good of a year as the Mountain West is having this year so far in terms of, of the top of the conference and having this many teams that are in the running, mm-hmm. you would think the Mountain West would – would do everything in its power to to try to protect that, and and, and to an extent, I I understand what what Leon Rice say, is saying when you know talking about you know let, let's uh, reduce the tournament field and maybe you know keep the bottom four or five or so, however many teams at home uh, in the sense that you know as we've talked about before too uh, there there's just not from a numbers standpoint and the, and the net rankings. Um, you know, there's just that, not that many, there's more landmines than there are resume builders in this conference. Right. So if you go to the tournament and you get beat in your first round, you, you, you would rather it be against a top 100 net team rather than, than a Wyoming or a, or a Fresno state or San Jose that's near the two hundreds or in the two hundreds. Um, but at the, at the same time, it's also like, man, just beat them. Yeah, like if, exactly. if you're, if you're that much better, man, just, just beat them. Like if I don't, I mean, they just got Boise state. I'm talking about just got swept by Nevada too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's not exactly handling your business. If you, if you're talking about yourself as being so much better than, than the rest of the field outside of the top four or five teams in the conference, um, you know, just, just go there and win. Like, you know, and it might be one thing if, if they were to play with, you know, or, or they were down three or four starters but because of COVID or whatever. But at that point, you, if, if a team gets three or four guys infected, it's going to wipe out the rest of the team. So they're not going to be playing anyway because of contact tracing. But, um, yeah, like just go, just go beat them if you're that much better. Yeah, and I mean, I think uh, that argument is certainly a factor as far as, you know, those landmine teams, like you mentioned, who can – really screw up your resume but that's that doesn't really have anything to do with covid like that's a right that is a possibility every single year you go to the tournament you could lose a game you shouldn't and screw up your resume i mean it'd be a nice you know benefit for those teams that they don't they don't have that risk anymore but you know that it feels a little bit uh 
disingenuous to suggest that that's any different this year than than a a non-pandemic year um and yeah i think you know uh i i get when you're a head coach you know you probably get asked this question and you got to have an opinion on it but knowing the way that coaches are and athletes are and teams are you know it probably makes the most sense to not try to uh micromanage too much or or get out and lobby too much and maybe spend more of your energy just kind of okay let's win the games in front of us you know that seems to be the the mindset of your, your average head coach right is, is yeah maybe stay out of the politics of it all and just uh, let's let's play who we have to play and uh, hopefully make it to indianapolis right well yeah and as i mentioned everything right now with the mount west tournament is is still on as scheduled um in vegas with the with all 11 teams um going to participate in it as of now but i something tells me we probably haven't heard the end of this um mm-hmm. you know and, and and it's crazy to think you know we are less than a month away from it now uh you know it's supposed to supposed to start march 10th both the men's and women's tournaments there at the thomas and max center in, in vegas um so it's it's getting closer and closer, but uh, as far as Wyoming goes, um, we mentioned the four-game losing streak. Their next game um, scheduled for New Mexico on February 17th. We'll see if, if that series ends up getting played at this point, but um, they've inserted another freshman into the starting lineup in Graham EK, which I'm s- sort of um, disappointed we don't get to see that matchup, at least right now this week with, with him and uh, Nemesh Keda, who's probably the, the best big in the Mountain West and probably a future pro. Um, but it's going to be interesting just to see what how all this plays out, what, what ends up happening, uh, if anything ends up changing mm-hmm. with the Mountain West tournament. But, uh, Brandon, I think we can go ahead and wrap it up there. Any, any parting thoughts? Yeah, I guess, you know, just one thing I thought of real quick in addition is, you know, when you mentioned maybe it makes the most sense for the NCAA to kind of call off these conference tournaments and just – you know, use the at-large bids and everything is, or excuse me, use the automatic um, qualifiers from the regular season. You know, we're coming off a year in which the NCAA tournament just did not happen at all. (laughs) And you would think the last thing anybody wants is for these conference tournaments to screw up the tournament again. And, you know, maybe it still happens, but you have, you know, four teams that can't go, or you have uh, three-star players who aren't able to play or whatever. You know, maybe you're playing with fire a little bit trying to get them both in and and you know the money is the money but i would imagine you're going to make a little less money this year and uh, with that tournament than you normally would i don't know you know i assume attendance is not going to be yeah full um you know fewer people are going to go to vegas just to, to hang out for that week which is a great week of college basketball by the way people always um go out for the first week of, of the of the big dance but back you know before the pandemic that was kind of the the crazy fun week to be there was when all those conference tournaments were going on but you know fewer people are going to do that you know maybe it's it's the smart move to just preserve the the ncaa tournament and you know we've seen over the last year the the actual like bubble situations seem to work pretty well you look at the nba the nhl the uh you know haphazard sort of traveling and hoping it works it comes with its side effects as as we've seen from all the other leagues so yeah i don't know i mean you kind of just cross your fingers and hope uh you know march doesn't get screwed up i guess well that, that, and that's why they have relocated the entire NCAA tournament to indianapolis and the exactly. surrounding areas you know is to keep everybody sort of in a bubble as much as they can but the problem is you got to get everybody there healthy first you know 
Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's, it's very interesting. Uh, so that's why I say it's going to be interesting to to see how all this plays out as we get go down the stretch here of the regular season and then get into the conference tournament. Uh, as of right now, every single one of them is on. Thirty one Division One conferences are, are playing right now, and and yeah. none of them have canceled uh, their conference tournaments yet. So. Uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. But, uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Um, as always, stay tuned to Trib.com and PokesAuthority.com for all of our coverage. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at PokesAuthority. You can follow me on Twitter at Davis E. Potter. You can follow Brandon on Twitter at BFoster91. Uh, this podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Omni. So um, follow along, download it, share it. Give us that five-star rating. Um, Brandon, I appreciate you joining me, and uh, we will catch up with all of you guys next week, and thanks always for listening.